If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Nurse Wellness Podcast, hosted by Wendy Garvin Mayo, focuses on the power of stress management and how it's foundational to being your best, doing your best, and giving your best. There's a wonderful episode that you should check out called Letting Go, where Wendy Garvin Mayo shares six strategies to release control and manage stress effectively. Check out Nurse Wellness Podcast on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Highway to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. This is episode 95 of the podcast. If you're a new listener, I want to welcome you. Highway to Health is your place for trusted health guidance and support. Whether you're looking to improve your health or just seeking ways to stay well, we're here for you. This is a growing community on a mission to improve your state of well-being and our experience together on the planet. And if you love the thoughtful and informative content that you get here, consider becoming a health amplifier today by joining this community over at patreon.com forward slash highway to health. And for the price of a cup of coffee once a month, you can help us provide free resource to anyone looking to improve their health and quality of life. So the subject that I'm going to be discussing with Dr. Melanie McNally today is one that I've been wanting to discuss on the show for a while, but I didn't quite know how to approach it. It's been an interesting time to be a parent, to say the least, with over a year at home uh, through the pandemic we've uh, we've let a lot of the old restrictions on screen time slide. I'm even going to say that I'm thankful for the fact that my kids have been able to keep up with playing and connections uh, with their friends through these devices. I think every generation of parent questions how new technology and interactions with it are going to affect their child's development. And the, the speed at which technology develops is often much faster than our ability as parents to process it and understand its best uses. For my generation, it was television and more specifically 24-hour cable television. And, you know, parents believed that it was making us lazy slackers. And and I'm sure the previous generation, for, for my mom's generation, it was the automobile and the car stereo playing that devil's music that uh, parents thought was going to loosen morals. But where television was a passive way to connect with the broader sense of the world, Social media and social gaming now give, give our children a way to actively engage beyond their physical community to a, a bigger digital community that as parents, we likely feel trepidation about, mostly because our engagement with it is sort of secondary. It's another way of keeping up with friends and colleagues and our personal interests. I'm very thankful, though, that I have uh, Dr. Melanie McNally to sort through this because this is the realm that she helps families navigate daily. And uh, she helps me sort through some of my feelings with this as well today, and hopefully some of yours too. Please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Melanie McNally. I think the early side of social media, we had we had this sort of obvious benefit that I get to stay connected with you more easily. I know when it's your birthday, I get to see pictures of your family. But for teens growing up in this, it's it's kind of a different it's a different environment because they're coming to it at at a certain point where they're 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 looking to get something from it, you know, and 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 looking to get response from it right away. So, so you know, I can't help but think, what are the costs and benefits of, of that, that new relationship? 
Yeah. And, you know, you're bringing up a really great point of getting something from it right away. And when we, what the research shows is that when teens, and I would imagine for adults too, but so much of it focuses more on teens, but when we used it for feedback approval or feedback seeking, yeah, yeah, that's when it's negative. You know, when we're using it, you know, to look at how many likes is this going to get? How many comments? How many shares? You know, I'm seeking the feedback of other people. And anytime I'm trying to get feedback from other people in order to validate my own self-worth, that's not good for me. Right. You know, yeah. it's. It's the same thing as like material objects. If I'm, you know, use my new, brand new car as something that's going to make oh, that's me really feel good about yeah. myself, yeah. that's not healthy. But if I'm, you know, if I'm posting on social media, because let's say I just created this like beautiful piece of art and I'm just excited about it and I want to share it with the world because I tried a new medium. I think it turned out great. And I just want to show people what I did and I'm really proud and I'm not really attached to like how many likes it gets or what people think about it. Now I'm using social media in a very different way. And that's what's been linked with like good mental health. Right. And, and it's, and that's really interesting because my wife is, is a ceramicist. And so she, you know, within these hashtag communities right now with us, the other way that we sort of follow people, we, we have this ability to connect with, you know, a, a ceramicist from Germany or Australia and, and actually get to see what they're like for her. She looks at what their studio setup is and all these things. It's very exciting in some respects, but it's so easy to slip into, do you like my thing? <laughs> Yeah. And also, you know, you even made me think of the whole FOMO, you know, the fear of missing out because, if, right. you know, if she were to see somebody else's studio and then think like, oh my gosh, you know, they've got these amazing windows and look at all these tools they have and, you know, and um, look at all these galleries are putting their pieces in, you know, now she's going to feel like she's missing out on something and yeah. that's going to make her feel worse. But if instead if she's using it to like inspire you know, of like, oh, yeah, look at this really great setup. And maybe I can do that in a corner of my studio. Or look at how that artist found a way to connect with a gallery that normally doesn't even sell ceramics, but they built a connection. Maybe that's going to inspire me to reach out and branch outside my comfort zone. And so it's, you know, like if we're using it to like inspire and motivate ourselves, that's great. But when we notice that that FOMO kicking in or, you know, falling into that comparison trap, um, then, you know, that gets really unhealthy for us. And, and in this fear of like missing out space, the whole of the digital landscape between like all the new shows going on or in, in, in the case of even, you know, whatever your niche is feeling like you you're not able to you know find as you know as many people or you know you're just kind of always looking or you're not able to to watch any of their Instagram live things because you're it's in the middle of your work day and they live on the other side of the world it's like all these different pieces that we're having to navigate so so that I, th- I think that's in, in terms of in terms of mental health we're, we're we're dealing not just with all you know the the maybe the ego issues around the uh, around being in that space but just how to sort of sort and compartmentalize so that we use it in a positive way. So is, is there is there a difference in the way that you, you you work with children, teens, young adults, and and older adults, correct? 
Yeah, mostly I work with, you know, Gen Z. That's kind of my area. Um, So I'm mostly like tweens, teens, young adultish. But then I do work with, you know, adults, more like millennial age, um, not necessarily like, you know, the elderly population. Okay. Um, so, so is there a difference in the way that you, that you help them sort of navigate some of this stuff depending on, on those, those different subsets age-wise? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I treat like their digital lives or I try to treat their digital lives as, a like a part of their real life. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, just like I ask them about, you know, what's going on at school or about friendships, I'm also asking them about what they saw online, okay. you know, um, what are they, what are some new accounts that they're following or what are some new TikToks they've created? And I try and make their digital life part of our conversation oh, cool, because yeah. I know I, it's so important to them, you know, and especially during this pandemic, yep. their digital life might even be more important than their real life right now it's like their only source of connection yeah but you know it's important to think of you know when we're talking about their digital lives with them recognizing like trying to see if there are any signs of some of those unhealthy behaviors you know where if they're falling into that comparison trap or they're doing a lot of you know fear of missing out kinds of talk or even making a lot of um, really big general assumptions. So for example, um, I had a teen client recently where, you know, she's looking at colleges and starting to consider things. And she was talking about, you know, everybody knows where they want to go to college. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows what they want to be when they, you know, graduate. Everyone knows their career. And then when I kind of challenged like, well, okay, is it really everyone? And where are you getting this idea from? You know, it's from a a very small little bit of, you know, what she's seen on social media, but then it's causing her to think it's like everyone who feels this way. And so then it gives an opportunity to challenge those, those automatic assumptions that we can easily fall into when we're scrolling, because based on who we're following, it may look like everybody has their crap together. You know, it may look like everyone knows what they want to do when they graduate from college. Yeah. But that you're only seeing a little pocket of the world, and and we and and even as 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 adults, we go through this too, where we 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 look at other people's lives, and always think it looks better than our situation, and you know for for teenagers. I mean, we, we, we've gotten luckily to do a lot of self-work. They're just at the beginning of doing a lot of this self-work and sort of, you know, feeling their own, you know, power and, and strength and, and creating that confidence. So is, is that sort of a part of the, uh, the process when you're working with, with younger people is, is really sort of building that foundation to start out with? Yeah, and helping them understand that, you know, what they're seeing on social media, you know, we always talk about how they're, it's a highlight reel, you know, um, like you just, you know, and the example I always use is, you know, just like how you didn't choose to post that picture of yourself with like three chins and where the lighting was really (laughs) bad, you know, your friend is doing the same thing. Yeah she's not posting the really bad pictures. Yeah. Like she's choosing the pictures where she looks the most attractive or looks the most like the ideal version of herself. Yeah. And so she's going to post the pictures when she's with friends or when she's participating in sports, you know, pre pandemic, Yeah. like those are the things that they're posting. And so 
you know, for them to understand that they're just like they're doing that themselves. That's what their friends are doing too. They're choosing what they put out there in the world. And so it's not an accurate reflection of daily life. Yeah. And and I think it was interesting at the beginning of the pandemic where you had these, these actors, you know, sort of famous actors, musicians and people posting what, you know, their, their hair and their gray beards coming out and all these things during the pandemic. And it, it really felt like the, the playing field changed all of a sudden. It was like, oh, we're in the exact same place. We're all going through this, the exact same thing. And now you see everything just slowly slipping back to the, the old ways, you know? Yeah. And I, I love that you bring that up because I even felt that too, you know, in my therapy sessions where normally, you know, my clients came to my office and, you know, it's set up a certain way and all of that. And now all of a sudden, you know, they're seeing me in my home environment. Uh-huh. I've seen them in their home environment. And there's like this kind of, you know, it's kind of leveling things out a little bit, yeah. which actually I felt really, really wonderful and really like surprisingly beautiful for the therapeutic relationship like they got to it kind of took my guard off a little bit whether I intended to ever have a guard up or not yeah now you know they're hearing my dogs bark in the background or (laughs) you know they're like seeing that and then I'm getting to see them in their own kind of natural habitat yeah and so that was like really cool but yeah you're right now we're kind of shifting where people are starting to get back out into the real world and you know celebrities are now you know, back getting their hair done and all the makeup and everything. And hopefully we can hang on to some of that realness that came out during the pandemic. Yeah. So, so let's, let's kind of break this down maybe and and look at the the, sort of the positive and the negative sides of, of this use and then how to identify sort of where you are in that, in that. So what are the, what are the biggest struggles you see younger people dealing with um, or, or feeling or, or, you know, trying to process in, in engaging through these kinds of uh, this, what you call their, their, their digital life? Well, as far as like the negative, I mean, one big thing that kind of comes up in the research is that teens feel this need to curate or prune their image. Yeah, and yeah. so they're, you know, depending on what they're posting online and, you know, what trend they're following on, you know, TikTok. I don't know if you use TikTok, but it's all about trends, Yes. you know, and so there's always like little things trending and having to kind of keep up with that and find a way to make that part of their life. That's like a lot of pressure, yeah. And, you know, and, and posting like the, um, you know, even on Instagram, it's, there's a trend on there where it's, you want to have a lot of followers, but not a lot of posts. And so then they're trying to, you know, choose which posts do I really want on my feed? Yeah. And having to put forth this image and then feeling this pressure when they go out in the real world, like, well, I don't normally dress like how I'm dressed online. You know, I did that for a picture and now here I am, I'm out in like my gym clothes. And so there's like this pressure to always look a certain way or present a certain, you know, image. Um, Another big thing I see is that, you know, part of adolescent brain development is this adolescent narcissism. Mm -hmm. You know, we all went through it when we were teens. It's just part of brain development, but it's, you know, you feel like you're on center stage. You feel like everybody's looking at you. What was social media? That's true. You really are. are. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And so it feeds into that belief even more so. And for those, you know, teens that are prone to social anxiety or who are prone to just feeling anxious in general, it brings that out even more and can make it, you know, a little bit of a trickier area to navigate. Yeah. And and so how do how do you describe the difference between I mean because anxiety is kind of an you know a, a normal thing we should we should feel anxious I mean it's a, it's a it's one of the motivating factors for us to to realize that there's that there's some kind of pressure going on to a, accomplish the thing that we want to do some of it is self generated sometimes it's from our parents or whatever but that's that's sort of normal but then but then there's there's another kind of anxiety which kind of has a, a, a crippling type effect so how do, how do how do you identify Identify, or how do you explain those to, to younger people so they can sort of understand where they are? It's kind of knowing where their line is between healthy anxiety and unhealthy anxiety. You know, because like you said, there's a motivating factor. You know, if if I'm anxious about a test and I now put in a lot of extra effort to study and prepare for it, that anxiety is motivating me. It's helping me. Right. But then it crosses that line if. I'm so anxious for the test, I can't sleep at night, mm-hmm. um, so now I'm exhausted when I actually take the test, or my mind goes blank when I'm taking it, so it's crossed that line. Yeah, I, I treat some of these kids, too. Yeah, so you probably see that, like, where it crosses that line from healthy to unhealthy. Yeah, that, that physiological manifestation, so a lot of times, there are some kids I treat who have, like, performance anxiety, right? So they're athletes or... And and what what ends up happening is they sometimes get migraines. They sometimes start to throw up. Um, they they have what you're talking about where they they can't sleep or they're just overly anxious for entire days. And even sometimes, you know, th- that that can carry on after after events where they can't quite calm the system. And so that's kind of my role is to you know really sort of engage that that physiological response you know with the with the nervous system and just kind of help help you know reset that balance. And a lot of times <laughs> with kids it takes very little. With adults, it's a whole different game, game sometimes. <laughs> but so, what other things do you consider to be like the negative effects of of this social media then on that that part of ourselves? Well, you know, like I mentioned earlier, when we link it up, when our self worth is linked with that external validation. So when you know when teens find themselves only feeling good about themselves when they maybe get a lot of followers or Or their TikTok gets a ton of views. Yeah. Yeah. Then all of a sudden they feel great about themselves. And then maybe the next thing they do doesn't go is it's not as popular. And now they feel like crap. Uh, So their self-worth is directly connected. And sometimes they don't see that. They don't recognize that. And it takes a little bit of work to help them see how much they are putting into it. And usually um, they recognize that when they do a little bit of a cleanse, when they have to take like a social media break or they have to clean up their feed a little bit and start, you know, maybe unfollowing people who make them feel bad or or whatever. But it takes a little bit of work to get them to see that. But that external validation, you know, um, causing good feelings of self-worth, that's a huge, huge impact um, also, there's this um, this public embarrassment. There's this like online shaming that has become kind of a newer thing. I mean, when I say newer, probably within the last year, year and a half. Okay. But there's this new thing where 
teens are calling each other out online. So for example, somebody will create kind of an anonymous high school account for their high school. And um, nobody really knows who's running this account, but people can write, can send a DM and they can say, you know, so-and-so sexually harassed me or so-and-so said something racist or, Mm -hmm. you know, they can call people out for anything and then the person who runs the account will now post and sit and post. And obviously there's no due diligence. No one's right. checking to see if this right, is right. accurate. Right. And it's being posted. And then, you know, it maybe it's true, maybe it's not. But now everyone from the school who's following this account, now they think like, oh my gosh, this person just did this awful thing. And there's this whole like online shaming thing that occurs. And I see this popping up over and over again and schools will shut down one account and then another version pops up. And that obviously can be really detrimental because, you know, if you did something that really warrants like uh, some type of, you know, social feedback, you're going to get it from your peers regardless yeah. of whether or not it's online. Yeah. And then you're probably also going to get it from your parents, hopefully, and from, you know, school administrators and all of that. But that additional layer of adding it to social media um, makes it really hard for people to kind of bounce back and to learn from their mistakes. And and it doesn't necessarily promote change. Right. It just kind of drives them further to maybe whatever that, um, negative behavior was, it might actually solidify that behavior even more. Well, and, and, I, and I learned this a little bit from when my son was very young. He's, he's always been someone who thinks he should kind of have a, a stage at, at some point, you know, like there, it's been something that he's been really comfortable in, which I, you know, that was not me. I was a very, you know, different child than that. So it was a, a kind of a big surprise. So if there was like a, a festival or something, somehow he would get on that stage. Or if there was a talent show, he was going to be in that talent show. And and he was entertaining. I mean, that's the that's the best thing about it. He still is. But but the 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 part of that that we started to realize when we when we talked to a therapist at one point too was that there were other behaviors going on that were that that might have been the more positive side of it. The other side is that any attention is good attention for some kids, right? Even if it's negative, they will do these kind of attention seeking things. And I I just, it strikes me like talking, going back and talking about like that, that, that need for, for verification or to get the like or whatever it is from, from these posts is that you might start throwing out these things that you know are going to get reaction because it's a, it's, it's another kind of attention. If you're not getting attention in one way, you're going to, you're going to get some in another way, right? Definitely. And it's, you know, and sometimes, um, you know, people will learn, yeah, like you said, what is going to get most attention. So it may not be something that they genuinely connect with. It might not be, you know, something that even represents who they are, but it gets some attention. So it feels good. And, you know, attention, especially when you're a teen or like you mentioned, maybe if you're not getting it at home, if you're not getting it from your parents or, you know, you're going to seek that out and that attention feels really good. And that almost becomes like a drug, you know, where it it feeds that reward center. And then, so now we're just constantly doing things for more and more and more. And, you know, and we know obviously that's not healthy. That's not good for our mental health. Um, And then also the teen isn't learning how to navigate, you know, the discomfort, like when you don't have attention on you, 
And, you know, and being comfortable with that discomfort and being comfortable with like sharing the spotlight or being happy for friends who are doing really well or who have something really cool to share with the world, you know, because now it's kind of all about me. It's very narcissistic in that way. Yeah. I mean, and even even as adults, I think that it's one of the biggest challenges to just sit in your discomfort. I, I mean, I'm I'm actually fairly impressed with the way my kids have have made it through the pandemic with a lot of different discomforts. And and you know, in on on our side, I was just saying to my son the other day, it's I feel like this this winter actually went kind of quickly, and he was like, "Are you serious?" <laughs> Because, you know, in, in, in relation to time as well, I'm sure this just seems like such a long period of time. Yeah. And, you know, and that reminds me, too, there's another point as far as like the negative effect is that um, social media can increase feelings of loneliness. And, you know, and so sometimes that can oh, make yeah. time feel longer, you know, when we're lonely Um And, but the thing is, what's interesting here is what research shows is that it depends on how we use social media. So it can increase loneliness if I use it in a very passive way. If I just go on and I'm mindlessly scrolling or I'm kind of lurking, you know, I'm going on other people's pages and looking at their stuff, that's very passive and that's going to make me feel more lonely. But if I use it in a very active way, where I'm creating my own content and I'm not doing it for validation. I'm just, you know, sharing things that I've done, maybe my digital art or my music or whatever. Um, If I'm engaging with other people's posts in a really sincere way. So if I'm commenting, you know, on like someone bakes a cake and I'm asking them questions like what flavor is that? Or, you know, what recipe did you use? I'm actively engaging. I'm not just, you know, doing some, you know, insincere you know, hottie or cutie kind of a comment, right? Um, you know, and I'm actively engaging, then that causes an increased feeling of belongingness. Okay. So we can counteract the, the negative loneliness if we change the way that we interact with it. And then we can actually feel like we belong and we can feel more connected. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So, so it, it, the difference being like, you feel connected to the whole or you feel on the outside of it in some way, right? Mm-hmm. And being able to identify right. that that piece. Oh, that's really right. interesting. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that's one of the things I'll have, you know, the tweens and teens that I work with is to start to monitor how they feel when they're on. So to when they're scrolling, to kind of check in with themselves periodically, you know, how are they feeling when they look at certain accounts and even to do like a mood log or a feeling log where they're kind of tracking their feelings with different posts to help them build that self-awareness because it's in a way, it's almost like our Mm self-talk so often, you know, we're not aware of that self-talk in our brain. Right. And, and, but yet then we'll feel like crap and we don't realize it was because I I'm just thinking how stupid I am yeah. and I'm not making that connection. Social media can be like that too, where it's just kind of that quiet voice in our head. And if we mm-hmm. just kind of let it go unchecked, it, it can create all kinds of negative feelings. Yeah. How, what, what do you feel like uh, parents role is in terms of monitoring? I mean, are, Luckily, so far we have one one you know user in the house. We have another one up and coming here. <laughs> but 
luckily they've they've wanted to you know have us connected maybe a little concern there that we'll see something that they post but uh, you know it's it's there haven't been a lot of posts going on and they're they're interacting with with our posts which i think has been sort of especially since i have something that's a little more public my wife with her art a little a little bit more and he has he's 17 and so he has comments about the things that we're posting and sometimes he makes very good points and sometimes there's just an embarrassment you know aspect of that because it takes a while to sort of realize that your parents are just regular people who used to be teenagers as well. <laughs> and so I did, do you have recommendations when you, when you talk to parents about this? Yeah. And, you know, and first of all, I love that your son comments on your guys's posts. Um, <laughs> that is like the sweetest thing ever. And I hope he always does that and that you encourage that. Yeah. Um, because that's, that's just really cute. But, um, you know, as far as like the parents, like monitoring social media you know, when they, I always say like when your, your teen or tween first starts using social media, you know, obviously that's when a parent wants to be more involved. And so that's when they need to be, you know, checking, um, a little bit more than they would later on, hopefully. Um, and so, but it depends on the teen and the tween. You have to know what their social and emotional maturity is, if they're not emotionally and socially very mature, then a parent is probably going to have to be a lot more involved mm-hmm. than um, somebody, you know, like your son sounds like he's probably very socially and emotionally mature because that is a very mature thing that to comment on your parents' posts or yeah. to even talk to you guys yeah. about feeling embarrassed. Yeah. But, it, you know, for somebody who isn't at that level, Parents need to be monitoring a little bit more, so they probably need to be not just following their kids' account, but actually going into their kids' accounts and in the beginning and looking at who they're interacting yeah, with. Yeah. Um, you know, because there's so many predators online. Yeah. I've had so many teen clients where they're contacted by all kinds of people, you know, asking for nudes or for videos. Oh, and yeah. and I've had some clients who have who have done it. Um, you know, very innocently, like not quite understanding things. And obviously that's every parent's like, big, you know, a huge nightmare. Yeah. So parents need to be involved in the beginning and kind of educating them. But also it's really important for parents to try and not be judgmental. As hard as that might, you know, be, especially when you see some really cringy posts and cringy engagement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to kind of think of it as like, okay, they're finding their identity online. Yeah. And sometimes that's cringy. Sometimes that's embarrassing. Yes. But you have to kind of let them find that identity. Yeah. Um, just like when they go through clothing phases that are really awkward and weird, you have to kind of let them do that. Yeah. It's the same thing with the digital world, but you're just making sure that they're doing it safely, that they're not... Um, falling prey to any predators out there. And then as you start to build trust and see that they understand things, then parents can start to kind of back off a little bit and they don't need to be involved as much and they don't need to be, you know, checking as many things, but they still want to, it's good to have that interaction online because it's such a part of all of our lives that digital life is part of us now. And so having that connection with parents and teens is really important. And, and, and it's expanding, it's growing. I mean, this is the, the thing that I am starting to see through the pandemic. My, so my daughter will have friends that she plays games with, you know, Roblox and Minecraft and all these things. Mm-hmm. 
but what what ends up happening is they become friends with the the friends you know of of these people and she has you know one friend who moved away so she lives in another city now so she's kind of getting to know her friends a little bit and so you you start making these friendships outside your circle but sometimes those you know you might also just all of a sudden have like a random friend who you get because they play the same game, the game at the same time you do every day or whatever it is and so and, and my daughter's 10, just for reference, because I think it, 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 it's really that tween, beginning of the tweens where, we're, where we are, I mean, I think a big thing that's come up during the pandemic for her is by being quarantined, she's not seeing all her friends. She's feeling a little isolated in that. And luckily she has a very robust digital life <laughs> because otherwise this would be very hard. But, but now we're starting to become introduced to these sort of peripheral friends and I think it's important. I mean, from what I'm learning, she's she's bouncing some stuff off of me. She's she's trying to you know get a sense of do I feel like it's okay for her to be friends with these people? And so you know, I, I think at that point I just start to ask questions about the friends. And usually, usually she only tells me if if she has someone that really seems nice, you know. But there have been some pe- you know some scammers or some mean people who try to take their you know <laughs> their stuff, and so. That stuff comes up, but I think we hear less of that. So I think it's important to to sort of you know get a sense of, or maybe just ask them if they're making any new friends, because that this is a new place for them to make friends. Yes, one hundred percent. And you know, so like you said, how she'll bring things up, and you know, and you're you're asking questions, and I think that's key because so often parents' kind of knee jerk reaction is to say. Wait, that's a stranger. You shouldn't be talking totally. to strangers. Yeah. And they slam that door shut. And now all they've done is they've made it so their child isn't going to share any new friends with them again. Exactly. It's, yep. It's not that they're going to stop making new friends. They're just going to stop sharing. Yeah. So you want to, as soon as that door is like a little open, your job is to try and open it wider by yeah. doing exactly what you're doing, asking questions, you know, and just... You know, and then um, kind of, you know, like if you hear something that sounds a little sketchy, you know, not jumping right into a conclusion or to (laughs) a really um, reaction, as tempting as that might be, but to try and ask questions to get her to that conclusion as well. Yeah. Like, how do you You feel about this person and those kinds of things, right? Yeah. And like, oh, so how did, you know, what did you think of, you know, so when your friend said that to you that's kind of a weird thing to say to somebody. I don't know. I feel a little weird if someone said that to me. How did you feel? And just to kind of make it like this open dialogue so that they're sharing. But then also, like you said, when you're asking questions at the end of the day, you know, like just like you would talk about school, then with her, you know, so on Roblox, did you make any new friends or did any new friends join any of your games? You know, what was that like? What were they like? Where did they live? You know, so you're just making that part of the regular dialogue. So there's no shame. There's no judgment. They're not going to yeah. be embarrassed to talk about stuff. Yeah. And if your kids are open to it, uh, you know, she she was asking us to play Among Us and other games where there's, you know, there's this, this social thing. And I'm, I'm all thumbs. I just can't, I mean, I, I can't navigate these things at all. So, and as somebody who has a competitive spirit, I'm like, ah, oh, this is terrible. I can't do this. So I've had to like really shift back into like, I, okay, I'm just watching. I'm just monitoring. I'm learning what this is all about. But it, but it is really helpful to then sort of see 
what they're doing and, and actually how sweet and how, and in some ways I've seen a, <clears throat> just a, a lot of really positive behaviors. I mean, there's, there's a thing about sharing the things that you, that you have and letting your friend take this animal and, and have it for a while. And, you know, it causes some problems, but it also teaches them to have to, to communicate, you know, with, with those people and, and, and build trust and do all these other exercises. Definitely, because yeah, and you know, there's there's a lot of social benefits. Like you said, they're learning how to share, they're learning how to collaborate, and then there's even executive functioning benefits. You oh, know, they're yeah. learning how to plan, they're learning strategy, they're learning how to prioritize, they're learning how to manage their time. Yeah. Um, but then with any of these things, it can easily, you know, we have to recognize when it's helping, and then when it crosses that line, and it becomes hurtful. Yeah. And so, you know, with some kids, they, they're collaborating and things are going great. They're playing with friends and then maybe a fight breaks out and then they want to just kind of slam the computer closed or done. And that's when it's helpful for parents to kind of jump in and help them work it out with their friends, just like right. you would work something out with a friend on the playground. Right. We want to bring those same skills to roadblocks and help the younger kids navigate those social challenges the same way you would on a playground. Or for a teen, if a challenge comes up online where maybe they feel hurt because a friend, you know, maybe a friend like never likes their posts and never likes anything they put on Instagram or on TikTok and mm -hmm. they feel really hurt by that, encouraging them to talk to their friend about that and how they feel as opposed to just kind of shutting it away and being like, oh, you know what, that it's just it's just social media, who cares? Yeah. Because it's not. It's a really important part of their life, and that means something when they have a friend who isn't commenting or isn't liking their stuff. It hurts them. Yeah. So you mentioned time management. Is there is there any recommendations you have for 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 that? I mean, it's right now, it's it's like television probably was for us. I mean, you know, they especially we're still working when school ends for them. We're we're not sending them to after school programs and all these things right now. So how do you how do you you know talk about time management as far as maybe not just time management but I, that time management might be a separate piece but just the amount of time the the quantity of time you know on devices and then how do you help them navigate how how much time they're using or or identifying when they feel like they've actually been spending so much time on there and they can't stop doing it. Yeah, and you know it's funny because. Um, the 2019 data on how much time um, tweens and teens spent <laughs> at devices. And, and this is pre-pandemic. Yeah. Um, for tweens, and this didn't include like schoolwork or um, anything for like homework or anything like that. It was four hours and 44 minutes for tweens. Okay. And then for teens, seven hours and 22 minutes a day. Okay. This is, this is 2019. Yes. Obviously, it's going to be a lot higher now. <laughs> right. And, you know, and I'm, I'm not a parent. I can only imagine how difficult um, managing, you know, trying to control like device time during a pandemic when there's really nothing else that you can do. Um, so what I've been encouraging parents is it's not so much about the amount of time that they're on there, but more focusing on like the quality yeah. and how they feel, you know, like having them like notice. Um, so for example, I have one teen client who started noticing that he gets really angry and irritable once the gaming ends and he has to go interact with his family yeah. and he's, he's just super irritable and really easily frustrated. Yeah. 
So he was able to connect that with how much time he was spending gaming. So he played around with it a little bit until he found kind of like the right amount of time that didn't have such a big impact on his mood. And so, you know, it wasn't that he could, his parents were saying, nope, that's it. No more gaming for you. But instead, like, okay, we got to figure out a way to work with this. You can't be this grumpy every time you, you know, it's time to eat dinner with the family. You can't be lashing out at us. So maybe you need to spend, you know, maybe you got to figure this out a little bit. So he found that if he broke up his gaming time and he did a little bit here and then he got up and he like played with the dog and he did something, you know, that had nothing to do with the screen and then he could game a little bit more. So he was still getting the same amount of gaming in. But it was broken up, and then for him, that didn't have such a big impact on his mood. Yeah. So for any parent, it's, you know, I've been telling parents, like, don't really worry about how much time they're spending on screens right now, um, because you can't. I mean, that's not realistic. Yeah. But instead, just having them check in with how they're feeling, how they're, you know, what they're noticing in their mood or in their body, and then trying to create some changes accordingly. So if they're spending too much time on social media and they're not moving their bodies, how does that make them feel? Mm-hmm. You know, how do they feel from a physical perspective? So then what do we need to do about that? So you're not saying I'm going to take this away, but instead it's just like, no, we're adding something else. And when you add something else, it's going to decrease the time on the device. Yeah. It's interesting because I, I feel like there's, there's, we've, we've hit a, a solid point. It's probably happened in the last couple of months where I think we've exhausted all the possibilities in some of these realms of gaming, you know, and, and now I, we're hearing they're bored. And, and, this, and this was not something we heard pre-pandemic ever. I, n- I never heard the term boredom. In fact, part of me thought, I kind of wish they would, you know, get bored. And, and because there's, there, I always feel like as a creative person, there's, there's something that comes out of that boredom. And, and I, remember, I remember hitting a threshold even watching television. And I was always kind of a hyperactive kid and had to be outside playing a lot. But I would also get stuck in front of the television if I was like, whatever, in the rerun, <laughs> you know, after school, you know, protocol or, or just watching sports on the weekends or something. And I would, I would have to kind of break myself out of it. Like, I don't want to spend my entire day here. And I just, knew, I just sort of, sort of felt it. But I'm starting to see them go through that. And my daughter is starting to ask, you know, can we bake something or can we do something else? And I think, you know, that's that's an important thing. And I think I'm, I'm even starting to think about it in terms of how we structure the day so that she can almost anticipate that there's going to be an activity at some point so that she knows that the gaming time is going to be compartmentalized here and then the, the more physical activities will happen. Yeah. And, you know, it's so funny because, yeah, I've been hearing the same thing from my right? clients. And as far as like the boredom, um, they're sick of screens, you know, yeah. kids who used to hate school who now are like, oh my gosh, my parents, you know, in-person school opened and my parents won't let me go. And, you know, and they're really upset because they want to go back to in-person school so yeah. bad. Yeah. Whereas before it was almost on the level of like school refusal. Yeah. And, so it's definitely caused a little bit of a shift in that. Um, but yeah, I think that's a good idea to have like to break it up a little bit to talk about like, okay, you know, some families will even do kind of like a screen free time where they'll have like maybe a two hour block where no one's allowed on any device or any screen. You can do whatever you want during that time, but no phones, nothing. And that goes for parents too. And so maybe they're going to, 
they might do something together or it might be that everyone's going to kind of do their own thing. But then that becomes part of the expectation of every day or every Sunday or whatever works for that family. So then the, the kids know like, okay, this is my break and this is when I can focus on something else. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So I, I wanted to ask you a little bit more. I, 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 we, we, you and I spoke before a little bit about Destination U, this, uh, this other program that you're starting, but can, can you explain it a little bit more? I'm, I'm curious to hear how you're doing this online because I'm, I'm guessing this is all online at this point. And is that uh, the model you're planning to continue with or is there an in-person plan at some point? Yeah, so, you know, I had um, a private practice for a long time in the northwest suburbs of Chicago where, you know, saw, you know, clients face-to-face doing individual and group therapy and psychological testing. And I had started in 2019, I had started to create this online business. And and it's funny, the reason why I did this is I had... um, I just started to see like some teen clients who I really couldn't get through face to face. They were way too guarded. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. once there was a screen between us, um, when maybe we would do a teletherapy session because, you know, they were homesick, but they still wanted to meet or something kind of came up and we would just do a quick, you know, a teletherapy session. I realized once there was a screen between us, they opened up in ways that they would never open up in my office. Uh, yeah. Like they weren't embarrassed, they weren't as vulnerable. And so that made me want to start to create some online resources. So I started to set up Destination U, which is 100% online support through self-guided programs. So for example, I have a self-guided program on building self-confidence and then one that's on goal setting. And that's where they get weekly videos and then worksheets to help build self-confidence mm. or to help with goal setting. And then they're both both based in um, research and evidence in terms of how we do those things. And, and so what, what age are we, are we talking about starting something like this? Tweens and teens. Tweens and teens, okay. Yeah. And so I, I created these, these self-guided um, plans and had those in place. And then I was setting up, you know, for, for teletherapy um, for groups and for individual and starting to put together a course for parents of teens and tweens to mm. kind of help their their kid with anxiety. And I was putting everything in place and still doing my private practice. And then the, everything was kind of starting to go. And then the pandemic hit. And I was like, oh, well, now all of my private practice clients are now becoming, you know, teletherapy. Yeah. Everyone kind of transitioned over and it was kind of beautiful because since I already had all of the infrastructure set up as far as a HIPAA compliant platform and HIPAA compliant, you know, forms, it was a seamless transition. So not a single client had to miss in a single appointment, which was great because everyone was so stressed out and anxious at the start of the pandemic. I was so happy. I didn't have, I was able to be there for everybody. And then um, you know, everything started kind of going with all of my my clients and, you know, people were telling me, you know, this is actually really nice. I don't have to commute. Like even when things reopen, can we keep this going? And so um, I just, you know, decided that I was going to close my private practice and completely shut that down. So um, now I do everything 100% online. So even once things reopen, it's teletherapy, so individual therapy sessions, mm-hmm. and then my self-guided um, plans. 
And then I'm working on a course for the parents that kind of got put on the back burner during everything, but just more like online resources for Gen Z as well as for their parents. So, so does everything to some extent funnel through Destination U in terms of individual? Yeah. um, Because I kind of ended up morphing, you know, I honestly, yeah, it was a kind of a pandemic you know, thing that just kind of happened. Um, it wasn't, you know, everything kind of got morphed into one. And so now all of my teletherapy, everything is kind of through Destination U. So it's, um, but it's still, it's all me, you know, yeah, yeah. whether it's at Destination U or yeah. they're seeing me. Gotcha. And and is there, is there a, a group part of this as well? Is there, is, is there, is, is, I thought I read something about that or is that something that you're planning to do more with? Well, so I did that at the start of the pandemic. You did, okay. Um, yeah, I had virtual groups for teen girls, and then I had another one for young adults. And um, and I planned to keep that going. Okay. But what ended up happening during the pandemic, I got so flooded with new clients. Yeah, um, yeah. That I honestly, I just, and I, and at this point, I mean, I still, I have an ongoing wait list um, that I had to kind of put that on hold. And I know like people are always contacting me and they want a group, they want a virtual group, um, but I just don't have the time because there's just been such a need for individual services instead. Yeah. But I I can see the, I can see the benefit of of that. I feel like it's, I, I had a friend who worked for this company called Playworks um, they're a national organization and they go in and sort of infuse play into uh, environments, especially schools who are sort of struggling test score wise. And they and just from getting kids to interact in this safe space of play, they oftentimes will will, you know, change the whole dynamic of of the social interactions of the school. And then it brings up the way they sort of focus on their on their schooling and the, the test scores improve and everything. But it feels like in the mental health realm, there's not, I haven't seen anything so specific to that, but being able to express your feelings or be vulnerable, especially for young boys, I would imagine, but maybe that's just runs the gamut, <laughs> but to have, to have that space, I can see the, the, the benefit of that. So it may, may, maybe this is something that we, we need to find more, more help for. Definitely. And, you know, and even with the, the self-guided programs that I have, I wanted something for, um, you know, for the, the tween or teen who's not yet ready for therapy, but wants mm. to do some sort of like self-improvement, you yeah, know, they yeah. recognize that they don't feel good about themselves or they recognize that they have goals that they want to work on, but they don't know how they're not ready for therapy. They don't feel like they need it. So here's something that they can kind of go through on their own. Um, at their own pace, you know, and, and they have this, these worksheets that they can do and they have this guidance, but yet they don't have to kind of report to anybody how they're doing. It's more, you know, on them. Yeah. That's great. That's so awesome. Well, Dr. Melanie, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you've got, you've got a lot of young people who need your attention right now. So uh, I'll let you go, but I'd love to have you back. And I still have so many more questions actually. Um, and some of it comes from having a, a teenager <clears throat> and, and also someone who's preparing for college. <laughs> so, and I know that's some work that you do as well. So we might have to, we might have to do another round here at some point and, and get through some more of that. Yeah, that's, that's a hard time. Um, so absolutely anytime, but thank you so much for having me. It was really uh, oh, fun. Absolutely. All right. Take care. Okay. You too.
Dr. Melanie McNally, folks. While we're discussing young people and their relationship with technology here, one thing that strikes me listening back to this one is that all of our relationships are in a constant state of change. And that staying in that awareness of how we're feeling and relating is the essential practice that we need to find ways to stay engaged with. And this is one reason why having someone like Dr. Melanie in our lives is important. But ultimately, it's still on us as parents or as teenagers to find the tools that work for us and to have an accountability to someone to avoid the trappings in whatever relationship we might have a tendency to struggle with. The trappings exist in nearly every relationship too, whether it's food, careers, dating, exercise, our marriage, you name it. And we do our best to process it with our Psych 101 backgrounds. But if we're starting to feel a sense of overwhelm, the solution might be as simple as an hour of sorting through this with a therapist. And speaking of our digital lives, this is now easier and more available than ever through HIPAA compliant software that allows you to do this from the comforts of your own home or office and speak to a therapist. And if you're struggling to find someone for yourself or just trying to figure out the first steps of, of working on a specific problem, feel free to reach out to me anytime at jeremy at highway2.health. I've got a pretty extensive referral network and we'll surely have a few good leads for you. You can also check out our guest page at highway2.health to see if there's any therapists with whom I've had conversations with here on the podcast that might be a good fit for you. And let me know what you thought of this conversation. I always love hearing your feedback. Thanks for listening and for all that you do. Be good to yourself, be kind to each other, and take care of your planet. Be well, my friends. If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Nurse Wellness Podcast, hosted by Wendy Garvin Mayo, focuses on the power of stress management and how it's foundational to being your best, doing your best, and giving your best. There's a wonderful episode that you should check out called Letting Go, where Wendy Garvin Mayo shares six strategies to release control and manage stress effectively. Check out Nurse Wellness Podcast on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.